episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast is brought to you by Fermented Adventure. Dolan, we have merchandise. Yes, we do. How do people find our merchandise? They need to go onto our website at fermentedadventure.com and click on the apparel tab. So go to fermentedadventure.com and click on the apparel tab. And what will they find? They will find our Fermented Adventure, the podcast shirt, may contain alcohol, and we have a couple specials that we just did. Uh, Cerveza made me do it, and tequila made me do it. Now, this is perfect for spring break, Cinco de Mayo, or even the summer, and you'll look really cool, and you'll be able to say, hey, it wasn't me, it was tequila or cerveza that made me do it. Yes, that's true. We have different things. We have shirts, we have glasses. What are some of the other things we have in there? Women's stuff, men's stuff, tank tops. Tanks, tees, sweatshirts, pullover hoodies, you name it. You name it, we have it, and more to come, right? More to come. FermentedAdventure.com. Click on the apparel tab. Buy the merchandise. Cheers! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guest. He's mead drinker Tyson. I'm Rich Shane, and this is the Fermented Adventure podcast. And today, this is exciting. I've been waiting all day, Tyson, to talk to you. We met at yeah. CiderCon 2022 Richmond, and you were walking around the bottle share wearing a bee costume, and that's mm-hmm. how I met you. The most fascinating person in the whole room. How did all of the me drinker Tyson, how did all that get started? All right. So most interesting person in the room. Well, most, most person dressed up in the room as a bee. Now, um, because once we started talking, there was... There was interesting oozing out of you on all pores. So yeah, interesting. <laughs> okay, good, good. I I, I collected enough uh, pollen over the years going to meteries, and now it just comes off wherever I go. So how did it all start? It, it all started with my brother-in-law. He's the one who wanted to do something different. He wanted to make mead instead of brewing beer like his other college friends and stuff like that. Um, and eventually he, he handed me a one-gallon carboy uh, and some some nutrients or some yeast and stuff, and he was like, "Go make a mead." Um, and I was like, "Sure, I'll I'll do that. It doesn't seem that hard." Um, and I made a mead, uh, and uh, and then everything else led from there. You know, some of it was his passion of wanting to educate people about uh, mead making and how to do it better, um, and uh, and I sort of came along for the ride. Um, but uh, but since since our our a podcast that I did with Alan. Uh, ended, you know, I've sort of just kept going, you know, I, I really like going on road trips and visiting meaderies and, uh, and drinking mead. Uh, and so I've kept at it ever since. 
do you remember that first mead you made and how it turned out and just the process of that starting? Because it sounds like it stuck with you and you really consumed that as a passion now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so the first one I, I made and, and I looked it up just to get the dates right. Um, I started it in November of 2013. So, so it's, it's coming up on, on 10 years, you know, next year. And I have one small bottle of it left. Um, and it was sort of like the starter recipe that you read about the Joe's ancient orange, you know, you sort of can't, can't go wrong if you just sort of follow the basics. Um, and you know, you don't, you don't need a lot of equipment. You just cram all that stuff into your carboy and you put it in your closet and let it go. Um, and so I remember that being the first one. But then after you talk to mead makers and after you learn the other stuff, then you sort of spiral down the like, how can I do this better? What kind of techniques can I improve? Um, and I think that's some of the fun for me is learning just the other stuff or thinking about, you know, the science behind it. Uh, and so that's, that's what's helped it stick with me is just learning from, from other people doing it. You know, there's so many people out there uh, doing it different ways. It lets you try and experiment different ways. Uh, it's just a lot of fun to do. Right now, how many meads do you have going or how many bottles have you created in your own collection, not purchased from other mead, meaderies, but how many have you created? Hmm. So that's, that's where, um, when, when we were doing the podcast, I'm mead drinker, Tyson, right? I said, well, look, if, if, if my brother-in-law, Alan, is the mead maker, he knows all the science and all the technical and the math to do all the calculations, uh, well, then I'll just, I'll just drink it. Um, Yes, I do homebrew myself, so I have made a bunch myself, but not nearly as much as I've uh, got from other people. Um, so, like, I have a huge bottle collection from commercial meteries, um, and I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to whittle it down unsuccessfully. You know, posting about one one bottle a week. Uh, you know, it's only going to put 52 bottles a dent in that collection. Um, but then for homebrewing, um, I've made a number of batches over the years, not as many as other folks, you know, some people want to perfect one recipe and they make it over and over again, which is, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, you want to have that perfect raspberry, you know, mead, you got to make it multiple times. You got to dial it in. You got to figure out, you know, what could you do better next time? Um, whereas I bounced around and made different stuff every single time. Some of it was for the podcast. Um, I think I have one bottle left maybe of a uh, a soda mead, you know, we had a competition where people said, Hey, who can make the best soda inspired mead? Um, so I made, I made one of those. I tried like a root beer with uh, different, uh, sassafras and sarsaparilla going sort of like the old school, like steep in the roots kind of thing. Um, so I've, I've made a number of batches. Um, some of them I've just done, you know, I just kept a jug fermenting on the kitchen table, you know, over a couple of weeks for dinner and then, and then bottled it. Um, that would be a, a Tej style Ethiopian mead um, where you have a, a, these sticks from a Gesho bush. Um, and so, uh, and so that one in Ethiopia, they just drink fresh right off the table. So that's why I was mimicking it by doing it on my, my kitchen table. I've got a couple crates, you know, some of those nice bottle storage crates of homebrew meads in, in, in my garage. So quite, quite, a, quite a bunch that I haven't gone through. I'm happy to share with anybody, even if it's, even if it was not so great, you know, not worried about it. Um, but plenty. You and your brother, Alan, you started out with this idea, I guess, a little bit influenced from him. But do you remember the experiences of trying meat and why it has resonated so much for you and why it's really escalated more into that 
passion. Like you said, you have a extensive collection and you make it and you try different styles. Mm -hmm. What were the first experiences that you had that this really, you said, wow, this is for me. This is, I, I really, really love this. This is for me. Um, I, I think it comes on the heels of the, the craft movement for any kind of craft beer or craft cider. Like craft mead was smaller. Um, and for me, that was fun because I could, I could get to know a lot of the community. I could know all the commercial folks, you know, you know, there, there was a new frontier. Um, and so that sort of drove me into it. Um, what, what else, what else were you asking? Give me, give me that question again. Well, you had that experience of just trying to make your own need and then mm -hmm. you I, look, I know for Dawn and I, what we love about mead is the flavor. It's mm -hmm. the complexity. It's the uniqueness. It's the people we meet along the way, the, the mm -hmm. mead makers, people like you that consume and talk about it and share it. It's, it's this, I, I consider mead still this underground eclectic world of so many different things. And when you talk to people, and I love to hear your experience, but when you talk to people and you say, I'm a mead drinker and what we can go a little bit different now, but what's the reception to those that are not familiar with mead? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's different, you know, cause I, we're not as common as everything else is yet. You don't have people who can, can rattle off multiple meaderies that they've tried. I mean, you know, I've, I've clearly tried many, but other people uh, in your local area, you might have one, might have two, um, I will say the industry has grown so much since I first started paying attention to it and, and being a part of it that, uh, that, I, that I felt like I actually knew every new meadery that was opening up. Uh, whereas nowadays, there'll be a meadery that opens up that I hadn't even heard about until they launched, right, until they opened up. Um, and some of that's just the size of the industry or just my, my attention span and what, what I can focus on at any one given time. Um, but mead's got, uh, you know, a nice, a nice connection with the bees, uh, the you know, uh, apiaries um, and that kind of stuff that, that I know other beverages also have, right? Like I've, I've been getting at the cider, right? We met at CiderCon, uh, you know, there's the orcharding and the different uh, uh, apple varietals. Um, and so whether it's apples or honey or anything, there's always so many layers that once you start getting into it, you can just keep peeling back and learning more and going deeper. Um, so just the, you know, it comes from bees, right? It's, it's, it's a, they suck up that nectar, they condense it down and they put it back into the hive for, for their survival. Uh, and we've just come to find that that tastes really good, you know, and it's, it's really interesting. Um, so it, it's such a, you know, interaction with nature that it's fun to, to manage to. I'm, I'm, I, I garden, you know, I always show the kids, you know, what I'm doing out in the garden or we go hiking, um, just being in nature. So it really connects you. Uh, and, and if you know your beekeeper, if you know that type of honey, then those are some really strong connections to, you know, time and place. Um, and I think that's what makes it pretty interesting. And, and you can say the same about cider, right? There's the terroir, the apples, and the same thing for beer. I, I just feel like it, because it was smaller to begin with, because it was less common, it was different and unique. You know, you hadn't heard about it yet. And so it was, it was exploring something new. Um, so all of those aspects just uh, keep me going. Uh, yellow is my favorite color now. Um, I have, I don't, I only have that one bee suit, but I've got a lot of bee pins that I've been collecting, you know, so I've been going for it, um, but I haven't started keeping bees myself. I probably won't. Is, that, is that next? Are you, are oh. you, 
Don't that's, get that's you started. A, <laughs> no, that, that's that's a whole separate hobby. I, I will be friends with all the beekeepers um, and I will help them, you know, uh, harvest the honey and do whatever. But um, uh, I'll stick to fermenting it once it's done and making the uh, making the mead. You mentioned that because we interviewed Caldonia Spirits, which makes Bar Hill Gin, mm-hmm. which they are they are apiaries. They, you know, they create that honey that makes their gin. And we got into a lot of conversations about, you know, pollinators and mm-hmm. creating those flower fields. And to my feeling about it right now, or to what's important to me is I'm looking around, you know, my own home and I'm saying, where can I start to create more areas of pollination and bring back or, you know, create more of a stronger habitat? Because for you and I who like to consume mead, we appreciate all the things that those bees do. and even communicating that to people, I think right now is we really need to do a better job and really improve the environment for the bees overall. Mm-hmm. And, and you can just start with your own home. You can just have a plot that you designate as a, a pollinator plot. We actually started that up last year, took out an ornamental grass, right? That like, I don't know, looks nice. It kind of makes an edging, but we took it out and we just threw one of the, you know, native, you know, pollinator seed packs down and just let it go wild. Um, I know, I know we've seen honeybees in our yard, uh, in addition to all the carpenter bees and the solitary bees. Um, and there is a beekeeper that I know that is like two neighborhoods away. We're within the radius of like, if his bees really came and needed some nectar, they could have ended up in our yard. Um, I, I made mead from his honey, uh, and it was not as good as, as, as a random, you know, no name mead, uh, that I made from just some, some honey that a friend gave me, uh, and they didn't know where it came from. So you know, not every, not every hive produces like a, a award-winning honey for, for your mead. Um, but it was still fun to ferment the most local honey, you know, that I could be tasting my yard, you know, in a mead. That so. is so cool. Hey, that's, that's my pollinator right there. And I'm tasting it. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where do you say, I mean, you've been doing this and in, involved in mead for almost 10 years, as you spoke about, where do you see yourself in the meat industry and, 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 or, or how do you see your role? Mm, so, so on my, uh, on my sticker business cards, it's all about trading stickers with people. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. Um, uh, I, I, I don't just put, I put meat advocate, uh, and that's what I do for, for the meat. I say I'm a meat advocate, so I support it and, you know, try to get it, uh, shared, you know, with everybody who I can, but I also put down fermentation educator. Um, and, and I don't limit that to just mead. Uh, I do other vegetable ferments, kimchi, sauerkraut, and that kind of stuff. Um, so I see myself as supporting fermentation as a whole um, because, um, you know, you can't, you can't drink alcoholic beverages all the time, but you can definitely have a fermented product with every single meal. Um, so I, I'm an advocate for mead specifically, uh, like educating about all of it. And I, I you said something earlier um, and so, you know, in order to really understand something, I believe you always, you have to be able to teach it to other people, right? Like if you can teach somebody something, then you truly understand it yourself. Um, and some of that was my personal interest in, in, in learning about me making, you know, if, if I'm going to truly learn it, I've got to be able to teach it to somebody else. Um, so. Now, if you were to count, do you know how many meteries you visited or have experienced? Oh. I don't know a lot. Um, I was gonna say I, I, I get I get sad when I I, I flip through uh, on on my Google Maps. I just star everything. 
Um, and so like I can zoom into just about any place and be like, oh, well, there's the Waffle House, but there's a meadery um, on the map. And, uh, and, and there was one or two that I zoomed in recently. I was like, oh, I might be going through there soon. And then they were like closed. And I was like, oh no, a meadery closed. I mean, it happens. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think I can go 52 weeks this year, one meet a week, and I'm not going to have to duplicate many meteries, you know? So I, I think I can get through 52 for sure. Um, how much more could I go after that? I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, there's, there's, there's so many, I tried making a list of just my local ones and I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I've got 10 within, you know, the, the greater, uh, district of Virginia, Maryland and Virginia area. Um, and I know that's not even a complete list. There's, there's a couple that I just had, didn't have time to write down. Um, so, uh, I, 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 I well-traveled, but don't ask me to define it because I don't know. Okay. Now, in all those travels and all those experiences and where you are as that need advocate, where do you see the industry going? Where do you see things as far as trends happening right now in need? Um, it, it's growing up, right? Like when I started, um, you know, I, I was, I was doing the podcast with Alan and we were going to the Mazer cup in Colorado and as a part of the Mazer Cup, the American Mead Makers Association were, were having their sort of annual meeting because it was the one event that brought the most mead makers together. So it made sense to just say, hey, we'll just tack on a meeting to that event. Um, and, you know, and then they since added a, a conference, right? So the, the Cider Con, the Homebrew Con, you know, the, the brewing convention tacked on to that. And they've, they've, you know, had to adapt to pandemic times and sort of move it around. But it's, it's grown so much from just being a really small organization to you know, getting bigger, hiring full staff. And so just the growth of that uh, professional um, organization just shows how the industry is expanding and growing. Uh, and, you know, they're working on some other stuff, you know, trying to get some standards, right? Like, you know, the way you can talk about apples and wine and have different quality levels and, and descriptors and stuff, you know, having that standard description will then help everybody sell and talk about me better. So I know that's something they're working on. Um, but, uh, but not, I'm not on the, I'm not on the board. I'm not on the, like the home governing committee. So I don't have the inside details, but those would be some good folks to, to talk to you to hear what else is coming up industry wide. But, you know, it's just, it's getting more popular all the time. Um, you know, more and more people are opening up meteries and, and it's, it's really great to see. And you now don't have to just go to that local brewery. You go to that local cider, you go to that local meadery, you go to that local spirits place, um, and you can have all the, all the variety of beverages all in your local space. Now, you have a bottle of something. You're sipping some mead. I'm sipping some mead. What, do you, what did you open up? What are you enjoying? All right. So this, this is actually a pretty interesting take. Um, it's, it's a mead that's inspired by a Belgian beer. Um, and it's from Monk's Meadery out of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and, I, and I got a chance when I was there last um, to talk to Justin, who's one of the, the main guys there. Um, and he was telling me about this one. And, and this one, it just it has an interesting story, right? Like, how do you get a mead to be beer-like without actually having any grains, right? If a meadery cannot touch grain because of the laws and that kind of stuff, what do you what do? You do? Um, so you can choose yeasts, maybe, that... that are a Belgian ale yeast, right? That brings you closer to whatever 
those flavors would be when they hit the, uh, the grains and the, the uh, malt and stuff. Um, but, the, but the cool thing about this one was uh, he, he used uh, aquafaba. Do you know what that is? I do not know what aqua, I know what aqua velva is, but I don't know what aquafaba is. Aquafaba. Um, and, and I learned this about in a cocktail class first um, uh, as a replacement for egg whites. So if you do cocktails and you put those egg whites in there to shake them to get that foam on your cocktail, well, if you don't want to use egg, you can use aquafaba, which is actually chickpea water. Okay. So, so chickpeas, it, you know, it's like a bean thing, right? The proteins in there are similar to the proteins in the egg white uh, to give you that kind of foam. So the aquafaba in this mead helps also, you know, give it, give it a foamy head when you pour it. So it resembles a beer more than an, a, a traditional mead, even that if it's carbonated. Yeah. That you, is you so cool. You won't get head, right? Like it'll just, it'll just be, you know, it'll bubble and stuff like that, but it'll be sort of flat on the top. So the, the aquafaba helps there, but then also just sort of maybe adds to some of that flavor, you know? Um, and I think I, you'd have to talk to Justin to get the full story on like how they did it. But like, man, just, just the thought of like making a mead, it, it, you can clearly taste the, the honey in here. You know, you, you know, it's still a mead, but those other spices that, that bring out that Belgian beer quality and sort of that, that other, uh, you know, proteiny head fluffiness or whatever, comes from the aquafaba or chickpeas, which you wouldn't expect. So talk about the flavor profile, because you mentioned Belgian. So there are a lot of things that I'm in my mind associating on that. What are you experiencing as you sip that and as you drink that? Um, it's a lot. It's a lot about the spices. I, 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 you know, methaglins is a type of spiced mead, you know, so it's a mead with spices. Those have always been my favorite probably because I liked all the different spices before I got into mead. Um, and so you, you taste a lot of those notes. Um, I think they actually listed on here, uh, you know, coriander, orange peel, grains of paradise. That's a, that's a fun one to play with a weird one. Uh, and then they actually do use hops in here too, to also, you know, connect to that beer. So, so if you're a beer drinker and, and you like Belgians, well, there's no reason why you shouldn't try this mead. Um, because it will it will remind you of what you're used to, but then give you the 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 honey um, and some of those other aspects that you wouldn't maybe maybe be used to. You know, I I think it seems as though, and that to me is more of the trend in mead making that these meads are going to continue to get more complex. People mm -hmm. like Justin are going to be more creative to these expressions that nobody's had before. And it's almost like, I think in the industry, it creates and paves a way for more of the mead makers to try different ways of doing it, to, mm -hmm. to just go outside of the box, to find more ingredients. And it seems in a lot of ways, barrel aging and different types of barrels seems to be very prominent right now. But as you just illustrated, different spices and in, you know, introducing different things like the Aquavita, if I said that correctly, um, Aquafaba. Aquafaba. Aquavita. That's just, I don't even know what that is. That's like, that's like a water and something else. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. but that, that seems to be is, is you start to, um, you know, introduce different and, and different things that nobody's really thought about. Wow. Look at where that can take the whole industry. Mm -hmm. So you, you can, you can play with a lot of things uh, and, and have some interesting combinations. Um, but some of it all does come back to the honey. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you about, um, 
a bunch of meteries have, have been doing monofloral varieties of honey where they just take a, a very unique honey uh, that, you know, as, as best as the beekeepers can say, comes from one source. And, and they'll do a, a series of meads um, with different honeys. Uh, the one that the one that I got to experience recently was out of uh, Richmond, Virginia, Blackheath Meadery. Yep, we were just uh, there too. That was good. Great. Good, yeah. So, so they did they did the twelve meads of Christmas. So they had twelve honey varietals, and then they they did them all roughly the same way. Um, they let them finish how they were going to finish. So some ended up being sweeter, some ended up being more a higher ABV than the other ones. But you know, it was it was fun. You know, trying coriander honey, trying. Um, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna space on all the names. There are so many good ones. Uh, coffee, coffee blossom, uh, chicory, um, you know, uh, uh, mango. Some of the fruit blossoms. You know, just just being able to try those all in one place, all in one sitting, is is really interesting. And that's uh, you know that's what mead makers can build off of. They can build off of that honey. What do you what do you want to add to that honey? Avocado blossom. That's a deep dark one. Um, that has rich notes, you know, what can you use that as a base for and build a very exciting beverage off? I really appreciate you bringing that back to where we're really talking about the honey. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a very strong focus because it's easy to get, as you talked about with, and I brought up different spices you can add and different ways of pulling out um, you know, just, just adding different things too. Right. But mm-hmm. you talk, without the honey, what are we drinking? It's not mead. It's something else. Right. So um, I appreciate you bringing that back full circle that way. Yeah. I, and I will admit like when you eat honey raw, sometimes when you eat honey raw, it is like really strong, really sweet. You know, it, it's not something uh, that, you know, you would do very often, but once you put it into a beverage form, and, and, and they balanced it with the mouthfeel and maybe, maybe they carbonated it, right? You know, you, you can have still meads, you can have carbonated meads, it's whole spectrum. Um, once they've taken that, they actually can make some of the honey more palatable, more, and you can, you can find those flavors. Even if you don't have the right words to describe them, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a bad describer of, of, of honeys um, and the, the words. I've got the, the, the honey wheel, the UC Davis produces a honey wheel of all the different flavors. They've got them for wine and beer and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and I am I am not the best one to pick which one it is. There, I, I can get the ballpark, maybe like the the real generic wedge. Oh, that's that's uh, that's definitely fruity. Uh, but then you ask me, well, which fruit? And uh, uh, stone fruit, you know, <laughs> you know, strawberry, you know, like I don't know, tropical. It's definitely tropical. Which tropical? I don't know. That's 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 where I stop off. But, uh, but yeah, you can go so many places with the, the honey alone and then build on that. But. All right. I have to ask, if you created a Mount Rushmore of either meaderies or the different meads that you've tried, do you have a Mount Rushmore? Mount Rushmore? So, so like four iconic? Four that stand out and say, look, if I were to say to you before, you know, in, in, on my need bucket list, I've got to go to this meadery, these four meaderies, which do you have any that you would say that you have to go to these or stand out and you say, these are the best ones that you would try or recommend? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it depends on where you are, right? Like if you're in my area, I'll, I'll, I can tell you the last couple that I've been to personally. Um, if you've got time to go other places, there are, there are a lot now. 
Um, and, and I could probably recommend one or two. And then I know there's more that have opened up that I haven't been to. Like San Diego has a lot of meteries and I have not been to San Diego in years. So I have not got to experience uh, local San Diego mead. Um, they, there was a group doing uh, the SoCal Mead Club for a while. And so I was able to get a couple uh, quarterly shipments of mead from Southern California, like one bottle from like four different places. And that was fun. Um, but to, to put up a Mount Rushmore. Um, I put you on the uh, spot, didn't I? <laughs> I, I, well, I, I, I know. I, I almost don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. You don't want to leave say, anyone out. I don't right? want to leave anybody out. I don't want to just pick the ones that I hang out with all the time. Like uh, I just I was just at Honey and Hops Meadworks in Front Royal, Virginia, uh, just this past week. And they celebrated their two year anniversary of being open. I picked up their two year anniversary mead. Uh, which is a, a sort of hot and spicy uh, mead, but, but this time they aged it on a bunch of different things and really sort of made the flavor more complex, like you were saying. They, 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 they spent the time because they had it for their second year uh, and really took an interesting, you know, so like I was just, I was just there, but that, that's because when I travel, I figure out what meter you were going to. The kids groan about it. Do they you know, really? Well, We're getting, are they able to, are they of the age to drink and consume too? So no, no, right? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I've done for them though. Like when we go on the road trips, they're like, Oh, how many meters are you going to stop to? You know, they're like five. It's probably five. I'm like, no, we're only stopping at two today. Um, if I'm driving to back, back home to Wisconsin, you know, where I'm, where I was originally, you know, from, you know, like I can, I can hit, uh, I can hit some Ohio meteries. I can hit some Illinois, Indiana meteries. Right. So like, and, and they're not that far off the interstate. Um, but, uh, but yeah, which, which meteries are we stopping at? Um, and uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really dragging out your Mount Rushmore question. I, <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't, I don't have a singular answer. I mean, you know, there, there are some people who would put, you know, certain meteries because they're older or they've been around for a long time up, uh, you know, real high, but like, um, you know, look at the after aftermarket bottle resale. Like, there's some meteries that get have insanely expensive bottles on the secondary market. Um, I I don't go in for those kind of things. I don't I don't buy those kind of things. If somebody had one, I would love to try it. Uh, but I would still rather just if I'm visiting you, I want to go to your local meadery. I want to just hang out. What's whatever's closest to you. Um, so I, I, I think that's what I would champion, you know, like, don't, don't worry about trying to go to the biggest and best, you hit those up on your road trips, but who, who's your local one, go and go and support them, hang out there, have your game night there, whatever, you know, whatever you like to do. Um, and those are, those are the ones that would be on my Mount Rushmore, my, my local guys that I hang out with. All well, it very much sounds like, you know, we have that same experience because when Dawn and I travel with our fermented adventures, yeah, we're looking to find, especially meteries, because as you said, they're more opening up, but you don't find, even, even if you type in, you know, search meteries nearby mm -hmm. the, I ended up, you know, I get, I get butcher shops a lot of times that, that, you know, Apple maps wants to take me to because they just don't understand the idea of mead and, and that idea, but we do the same thing. Where can we find the local meteries and, and try something new? We went to, um, like you said, Blackheath when we were down in Richmond. Now we bought a couple of bottles of their tomato mead. Mm, haven't you got had the tomato it mead? I haven't opened them yet. You know, the problem with what Dawn and I do is like we buy them, but we hoard them because mm -hmm. we, when you travel, then once you open them, they're gone. <laughs> right. And you only have that one experience. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, you get to try so many different things and there's so many neat places to try. If, you know, when, you know, obviously coming back to the Virginia area, we, we you know, hearing some of those places you, you, you would recommend, I guess if we're traveling to your area, you could talk about your favorite children that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you picked up Bill's t- tomato meat. It's got several different varieties. I've, I've got some of the same ones, uh, Blackheath. I'm, I'm in their club so I can get all their good stuff. Um, and, uh, and so you swung by his place in Richmond, but did you go to Funktastic? No, we didn't, we didn't make so, it over there. Yeah. So Funktastic is, is like West Rich, Rich Richmond. It, it's, uh, Mid, Midlothian. I always say it wrong. I'm not, I guess I'm not from Richmond, but, um, they're brand new, but they're already kicking butt with sort of like the quality of their meads and their crazy experimental flavors and just the, the good stuff that they're, they're producing. Um, but, but tomato mead, man, like it's a fruit, right? It's a, it's, it's a mellow mel, right? Um, uh, that's the name for the fruit, uh, meads. Um, uh, so those ones are very interesting. Um, and, uh, Man, that, that if we had if I had known you had that, I would have I would have told you let's both drink the same. Okay, oh, I, I I should have you know all I'm drinking you know I'm, I'm drinking Liquid Alchemy. Um, Dawn and I are a big fan of the Ground and Tapped. It's a coffee flavored, and they they were they were the second guests on our podcast and Jeff and Terry and but that's you know but but the things they do it's exactly what resonates with what you're saying about all these other meteries and some of the things that they're doing and how much you enjoy them. So uh, mm-hmm. part part two of um me drinker tyson next time we do a podcast we'll open up the same thing yeah well or or we can do um and i did this at liquid alchemy once before there were mead conventions and that kind of stuff i was trying to get the just the local area meteries together um and so i successfully organized two meetups you know meetup meetup it's you you got to go with the puns gotcha uh you just have to do it um and so i had one uh at orchid cellar in uh, Middleton, Maryland, um, back in 2016. And then I had a, I, I got a second one organized at Liquid Alchemy in Wilmington, Delaware in 2017. And then they even did a, did a third one without me because I was going to be on road trip vacation out, out west uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, up at uh, Metacell, um in Lancaster. Um, so like, like early on when we were doing the podcast and, and, and you know, visiting meteries i was big on on using the hashtag to help consumers find me that was like found me you know you went to the store and you're like oh my gosh there's a bottle but then i also was trying to get the industry folks together because you know who who could help another mead maker better than another mead maker um and if you're dealing with the same state laws and that kind of stuff pennsylvania had a at a mead makers association before some of the other states that i knew of you know so that they could they could talk to their state, you know, those local uh, groups. Um, and so Liquid Alchemy hosted one of, one of the meetups that I was doing, and it was a great time uh, coming up to their place and trying, trying their meads. But then all the other mead makers that we got to come from the Virginia, Pennsylvania, Delaware, you know, got them all in one place. And, you know, just, you know, if, if you can participate in an event like that and just sit back and watch, watch the professionals talk, it's very entertaining, you know, and, and, and maybe contribute something yourself if, if you've experienced a few things too. Well, that's what I enjoyed. That was our first CiderCon. And that was what I enjoyed about that event. What was it for you? What resonated for you with CiderCon? What did you, you know, learn or, or glean out of that event? Hmm. Um, I, I really was getting into the Apple stuff, right? Because and, and, and my connection to CiderCon is 
through uh, a cidery that has connections to mead, that has connections back to the Maser Cup. Um, so my good friend, uh, Dan Daughtry uh, in Longmont, Colorado, uh, I'd go out to the Boulder Broomfield area to the Maser Cup, but then I'd hang out with Dan at St. Brain Cidery in Longmont. Uh, and so then he was the one who told me, hey, CiderCon's coming to Richmond. That's your neck of the woods. You got to be there. Um, and so I, I came down to volunteer. Um, and the, the sessions that I volunteered at, you know, I was, I was helping pour uh, for some of the cocktail classes. I think you interviewed the drinking coach. Yep. Um, yeah. Fabulous session. And I hope all the people who drank our cocktails enjoyed them because I was helping pour them and, and you know, dish them out there. Um, so, you know, you, you learn by, by helping and volunteering. I mixed those drinks and then I was able to mix the same one here at home. Right. So practical knowledge. Um, but, uh, but man, I took, I, I did the, uh, the grafting workshop, right. I took a rootstock and, and, and did the right cuts, you know, and stuck it on a, on a, uh, apple, what, a scion wood, right. The little stick that you put on there for, uh, that has the varietal that you want. Um, I, I don't have a place to plant it in my yard yet though. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. It's still sort of on cold, uh, cold duty right now, but I'm going to get in the ground soon. So learning just the craft of a whole nother industry, you know, starting to peel back those layers of apple, you know, learning the bitter sharp, bitter sweet, you know, like I still, I still am not clear on, on those designations. You know, I, I haven't got to bite them myself, even though you wouldn't eat them. They're not culinary apples. Uh, I really want to do that kind of experience. And I know Virginia being here is, is a great state to do that in. So CiderCon was just a whole, you know, dipping my toe into a whole nother world and, having fun with uh, an equally great community, uh, you know, focused on apples instead of honey this time. I think, I think you hit on it. I mean, it's such a great community. And when you get everybody together and hear some of the conversations and the detail and all that they talk about, and as you said, look, I learned all about all about these other apple varietals and I would like to, you know, taste them raw as you talked about, so I can better understand what, it's like to then enjoy them in a cider or see the progression of, of how that's going to play out in a cider. Mm-hmm. Very much mm-hmm. the same as you talked about with different types of honey that now that those single, those mono varietals that you have of the honey, if you start with the raw stock and then you can progress from there and you understand what you started with to what you've created out of this mead, I think that just, that, that to me even becomes more fascinating. It's like when you go to a, a winery and they'll say, hey, you know, here's this grape, you know, try the grape. It doesn't taste like wine, but mm-hmm. you can get a sense of where they're going when you try that, that grape itself. Yeah. No. And that's, I mean, not only do I come home with bottles of mead from the local meaderies, but if I see a unique honey from someplace, I'll just buy a bottle of it. I've been stashing little jars of honey for so long. Um, I've got a, I've got a, you know, a tote or whatever that I can barely lift because it's so heavy. Um, but I've just been waiting for people to be like, hey, I want to try a raspberry blossom honey, a sourwood honey, or maybe two different sourwood honeys from two different states, you know, to see what those, how they're, how they're the same, how they're different. Um, so yeah, got, got even, a, got a stash. Even, you know, even honeys from different parts, other parts of the world and the characteristics you're going to get that you won't even find here in the United States. That to me just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Um, I, I've backed a few different crowdfunding campaigns for like, uh, apiaries across the world um, and gotten a few samples of honey like Italy they've got some interesting bees over there um, and so for sure 
you can you can get some stuff from other places that you would not you not be able to find in your local store. Um, so just travel there and try the honey local and see if there's a local meadery that's making it too. Uh, that's, that's, that's what I'd want to hear about. If somebody sent me back, I went on a vacation and I, I visited, like, tell me about the local bees and the honey and the mead. So it's April of 2022 for you. What's the rest of your year look like? You know, what, what are you looking to experience this year? And, uh, Mm. What you know for mead drinker Tyson, you know what are you looking to accomplish this year? What what does the future look like right now? All right, so uh, you know I'm going to keep posting on Instagram uh, about meads, um, but I have purchased my ticket for the Sugar Belt 2022 Mead Festival. Um, I think they're claiming it's the largest mead festival, like the most number of meaderies gathering in any one place. That is in May. Uh, May in uh, Indiana in the north uh, west quarter, just uh, just outside of Chicago, Crown Point. There, the name came to me. Crown Point, uh, Indiana. It's hosted by um, Manic Meadery, uh, the mead maker Tony Qualls. There, I've, I've just I've swung through so many times and just chatted with him. He's a great guy, and I'm so happy that they have a mead fest. They had one last year, and I couldn't go to it. I had like I, I double committed. That's that's the story of, of keeping me from mead things. Is I keep getting double committed on like that one good weekend. But uh, but I'm gonna be there. It's gonna be fun. Uh, I, I hope to help uh, Bill from Blackheath. Uh, you know, do some of their pouring or something like that. You know, like like CiderCon. Like I can't just attend these things. I gotta help. I gotta help sh- share the love. Um, so I'll be doing that coming up in May. Um, and uh, August, the, the first Saturday in August is always uh, Mead, you know, Saturday, National Mead Day, International Mead Day. Um, so I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some meaderies doing some fun stuff uh, for that one. So I know the date. I don't know what I'll be doing, though. Uh, and, then, and then I know Father's Day timeframe, the meadery I mentioned, Orchid Cellar up in uh, Maryland. Uh, they release all their hottest, spiciest meads. I'm a big fan of sort of the, the thrill of the heat. Um, and so each year they do a project uh, in their Hunter series. So they have, they have a Hunter one, which is just like an entry-level spicy mead. And it goes all the way up to this Project Hunter where what's, what's the spiciest pepper in the world right now? What are the three spiciest peppers in the world? And they blend it really well with honey in a nice sort of uh, Polish... Uh, high, high sweetness, you know, high ABV mead, uh, and enjoying that. So that comes up around Father's Day. That's always on my mead, uh, calendar for the year. And MeadCon is in Baltimore this year. Will you be attending that? I think I I was all set to attend it. And then, uh, and then like life intervened, which is, you know, the story of the story of our podcast, life intervenes. Uh, it's the first week of school. I think my wife's got a work travel thing. So like, I was like, how can I be in Baltimore and home for when the kids get off the bus? I'm not sure I can work that out. Um, so unless something crazy happens, I, I might have to miss that one. Um, even though it is so close, uh, it's, it's unfortunate for that. Tyson, I'm so excited we had some time to sit down and talk today. I've been looking forward to just having a little time to get to know you better and to learn more about what you do. Is there anything that we haven't talked about over the last time frame that we've been chatting on the podcast that you want to share with people and let people know about you? Oh, man. No, we've, we've covered so much stuff. I, I wasn't sure what questions you're going to ask, so I tried to just get my time frames down, you know, like 
I, I did I did our podcast with Alan from 2015 March to 2018 uh, January. So like three years of podcasting. You you've already got more episodes in the bank than we did. We got we just about got the 60 episodes. Um, you know, and so like I, I find it fun that you know we met and then you were like, hey, let, let me talk to you. You know, uh, you know. So I still I, I still feel relevant. You know, to the podcast <laughs> world. Yes, uh, I'm still I'm still winning here. Um, but uh, no, and you're just, a young man, so you've got a lot of time to be relevant. <laughs> oh, every, everybody says that. It's just these these video calls. You can't see how much gray is up in there. That's um, why I shave it. This way, you never know how much gray is there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, no, I, I don't plan on going anywhere. You know, I, I still want to post about mead, you know, and share it, you know, that, that, that's the sole purpose of my Instagram. I, I don't do any viral TikTok trends, you know, or anything like that. It's just like, what, what mead did I have recently? What can I connect to fermentation? You know? Um, so our, our website that we host the podcast on, it's still there. I guess, I guess it's binge worthy. Maybe I mean that would be a lot of hours to to do it, but if you're if you're on a road trip, yeah, you could download a whole bunch of episodes. Um, but there's a there's a calculator still there, and uh, it's something that that Alan created to just be real simple. I, I gave my my sort of human computer interaction or user experience touch to try to like make it real easy for entry level mead makers to sort of just play with. Um, and so people still use it. I get, you know, you know, two questions a month, like, Hey, what is, what does this mean? How do I do this? You know? And I do my best to explain it without actually knowing the coding or the math behind the calculator. I just know how to use it. Right. So, uh, so that's still out there. So, so people... what is this calculator that you're, you're mentioning? Okay. So, so, and, and this is, this is the thing that I've been intending to record like a nice, like user video like a like a five minute like walkthrough like hey how, how do you use the batch builder calculator on, on meadmaker.com uh so if you say i want you, you know you want to make a dry mead or a sweet mead right like so you know your sweetness you know you say i've got a i've got a one gallon carboy i've got a five gallon carboy or a bucket um you pick your volume you pick your 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 final sweetness level that you want and then you sort of do this guess with the uh, ABV, right? Like if you know you're using a wine yeast and it's, its tolerance is like 16%, then you can set the ABV to 16%. Um, and, and then you'll, you'll get a sort of output of like, well, you need this much honey, these many yeast packets, you know, this much nutrient regime for doing uh, a staggered nutrient regime. And there's a couple different options we put in there. Um, it basically just walks you through making a mead. It's, it's, when I make a new batch of meat, I go to the calculator and I just sort of do what it tells me. I've done enough to know that there's, there's a little fudging and rounding, you know, it's, 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 it's a best guess, you know, it's not perfect. You can't completely science this unless you're measuring every single thing you're putting into your meat, but it, it gets you close. It gets you started. Um, and so that's still out there. It still works. You know, people can use it uh, to, to make your first batch or your 50th batch or your commercial batch. I know there's some folks who just like bounce, bounce their own math off of our calculator to see if they're close. So it's out there. People can uh, use it. Well, that's good to know because Dawn and I keep, we, 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 we basically, we just keep challenging each other to say mm -hmm. one day we're going to make our own mead. And now that we have a calculator, we might have to take everybody through to our experience of using your calculator, obviously giving you an Alan credit, uh, certainly, but that's good to know that there's something out there for 
as you said, those starting out making mead, because I didn't know that that was available. And those mm -hmm. who are experienced mead aficionados that are more commercial or professional that use it as well. It really says something about, you know, the craft of, of what you guys have put together. Yeah, no, go, go for it and try it. Email me your questions. Uh, you know, I try to get back to everybody who, who sends them in and, and sort of explain it. Um, I think I've got one outstanding that I need to get back to and, and, and give a response, but yeah. And you mentioned it. you have something on your kitchen counter, which is a Tej. Oh yeah, that that Ethiopian style mead. That that I think is my favorite style of mead. I need um, to see a picture of this. <laughs> a picture of it. I mean, yeah, I need to. I, I, that's you know, post that on your Instagram site, and this way we can see what you have on your kitchen counter. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you got to go to the Ethiopian market, you know, and even if you don't know what else is in there, if you say, "Hey, where's the Gesho?" Uh, and you say, "I'm going to make Tej," you know, the, the the guy's eyes will light up. We're like, "Oh, I got some of that," you know, because they make it themselves too. Um, so I, I will share that with you. I've got, I've got plenty of bottles. So if we can get together, I will let you try what I made. Well, that event in Indiana sounded awesome. The one in Maryland over Father's Day weekend sounded great. I really look forward to our past crossing again. And this exceeded my expectations. The knowledge that you bestowed and shared, and I hope people appreciate that. I was excited to talk to you. I'm even more excited now to grab that calculator and maybe make some mead. So yeah. thank you so much. And I, and I, and I, meeting you, seeing you, tell people how to find you on Instagram or the socials. All right. So it's mead maker. And so M E A D M A K R. We are very cool. We don't have an E at the end of maker. So look up mead maker. Uh, you can also find mead drinker out there, but I believe my account just tells you to go follow mead maker. Cause that's where I do all the posting. Um, and so meadmaker.com. You can find us out there. Uh, I think we were the original podcast that used Meadcast as the name. I think there's there's at least one other one out there, but you can search for Meadcast and Meadmaker and you'll find us. Tyson, thank you so much tonight for your time. I really appreciate it. And again, I'm looking forward to that next event where our paths are crossed. And you're now a friend of Fermented Adventure and we look forward to uh, building that relationship. Cheers. Take care. Cheers to you. Thank you. <laughs>